hell Paris? You're not in Paris this time, but you're working on Paris. No, not in Paris. Working on it remotely. It's behind closed doors event. So even all sort of wealthy commentary teams are not in Paris. But Paris is going really well. I've just finished, literally, it sounds weird, literally just come off court, just come <laughs> off watching the courts, um, between Daniel Medvedev and Kevin Anderson. And sadly for Kevin Anderson, he actually had to retire early stages of the tie break. And we, we were looking at this match, thinking that's kind of a strange time. They were a few points into a first set tie break. He'd done really well. He was frustrating Medvedev. But then you think all the injury problems that Kevin Anderson has battled through, the age he's at now in his mid-30s, A, he knows his body better than most, and B, he can't take any risk because surely with what he's gone through, it could be career-ending at this stage if he's not careful. Oh, did he pull out in the first set tiebreak? Yeah, in the first set oh, tiebreak. Because yeah. I, I, I had it on and I was, I was just doing some work. And it, yeah, I just assumed it was the end of the tiebreak because he was down in the tiebreak and I just kind of assumed, oh, it's been wrapped up and he's pulled. I just looked up and he was shaking hands. No, it was, it was just a handful of points in. Yes, it looked like Medvedev was going to go on to close out the tiebreak, but he still had a couple of points to win. Medvedev was serving. There was an, an attempted drop shot from Kevin Anderson that made it to the service line. He hadn't been moving that well, had some heavy strapping on his right thigh. and he Wait, His own it. service line? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love it when that happens. So, I've done that before. <laughs> but then immediately after that, as we're just sort of saying, oh, hang on a second, oh, well, he was at the net and saying, I'm done. Said to Emmanuel Joseph in the chair, I can't continue. And Medvedev was like, all right, that's it. But, you know, Anderson, he, he, you shouldn't take risks anyway with, with injuries if your body's not right. But, but he, I mean, his, anything now for him could be career-ending. Yeah, I mean, he's had some significant ones, hasn't he? And he was doing so well, wasn't he? You know, Grand Slam final, appearance at the O2. He was just looking like a really solid top 10 player, a really tough guy to beat. And he's been such a worker, hasn't he, over the years in terms of just chipping away, maximising his potential. So it's a shame that his body is starting to break down, but that is normal. And I think we should just reiterate again what Roger Federer is doing and Serena and Venus. <laughs> it's not normal. That's not how it normally works. It normally starts in your early 30s or maybe, yeah, about early 30s and it can be tough to manage. <laughs> so uh, Anderson, I think, falling into the more normal category, like an Andy Murray, for example, even like Rafael Nadal's having to manage serious injuries as well. Um, but yeah, you can't just kind of look at Federer and... And Venus, who's still playing, and, and Serena, as I say, and just go, oh, well, we could just play till we're 40, right? Everybody can do that. No. Well, Danny Valverde said yesterday, listening to an interview with him, the coach of Stan Wawrinka, said one of the biggest things we have to do is manage the schedule because of the body, because he's 35. So that's the massive part is he has to, he said with Wawrinka, he's got to play a lot of balls because that's the type of player he is. But he's also, he's got to get a lot of rest because at this stage of your career, and we've seen this with Federer, he's been, and Serena Williams, they've been managing their schedules for, for years and years and years. But it's so important you get the scheduling right. But that's the point, is that you can't just start managing your schedule once you start getting injured in your 30s. You need to be doing it from early on. Now, Federer always deliberately was talking about his longevity of his career and has always been a little bit lighter when it comes to the volume of training, when it comes to the volume of tournaments that he would play. And then also, Serena and Venus have kind of also fallen into that category, but maybe less deliberately. I don't know if it was about prolonging their career, but just more that they only wanted to play it a handful of tournaments. I think, I think there was one stage, again, I'm going into my loose facts, but I feel like I remember there was one stage where Serena was number one in the world based on like four tournaments. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was absolutely absurd. Um, but, you know, she's wrapped up her season after US Open quite frequently. I mean, she, she's gone on and won the, the WTA finals before lots of times. So it's not like she's just doesn't want to do it. But she's always had a lighter schedule. She hasn't needed, you know, I, it's it's one of those things where I look, I pick out those three and it's very easy, isn't it, for them to say, I mean, Federer mentioned, I think, about Andy Murray with his hip saying, well, you know, he's kind of overtrained and overdone it. And he definitely overdid it in his race to get to number one. But, you know, it, it's easy when you've got the skill level and the ability of Federer and Serena that you can just pick up a racket after barely playing for a couple of months and just still be right up at the top. Even the likes of a, an Andy Murray and, and those sorts of players don't necessarily have that ability they need to kind of get things going but a lot of it is about the confidence and the mentality of how confident are you in your ability and your skill level that you don't need to be on court for four hours a day for three weeks before you feel fit enough and ready enough to play a match and those sorts of things how can you keep it ticking over so it's quite interesting I think yeah definitely Federer has done it more deliberately Serena a little more just accidentally because she was just that good she was like why do I need to play anymore (laughs) just that good 23 slams later um but yeah it's a bit more I think definitely the new players coming through will be looking at prolonging careers because if you overplay you know you've only got so much tennis in you you've only got so much impact that can go through your joints and I was also thinking when it comes to the older player although this myth was busted by Vavrinka yesterday who came out first on 35 against Evans and was absolutely stunning from the off he knew he had to be on top of his game and I, I sometimes refer to Vavrinka as a diesel engine and he takes a while to to get going but he was on it from the start but I was wondering with Kevin Anderson today so Medvedev wins the toss and he elects to receive the serve of the six foot eight South African. And I'm wondering, as you get older, do you want these early starts or do you need to give your body more time to get going, to loosen up? Because I imagine there are aches and pains moving around a six foot eight inch frame that's been as battered as it is. I can't always imagine that an early start is a good start. I I can see what you mean. I definitely, I think the pre-match sort of warm up will be a little bit longer you kind of really need to <laughs> kind of get that body going 5am come on Kevin yeah, up we get he, you look at Medvedev and he clearly does warm up I've seen him doing his warm up it's actually very long I remember actually out in Shanghai I was watching him warm up and I was thinking mate you're not on for another hour this is <laughs> this is a very early warm up he was doing medicine ball work so I'm not saying that he doesn't warm up but you look at him and he's a sort of guy that could be told oh you're playing now everything's changed you're on right now pick up your rackets, walk onto court and he'd be fine. You know, it'd take a game or something, wouldn't it, to to sort of get going. But um, yeah, for Anderson, as long as his serve is ready and warm and raring to go, then he can allow his body some more time, those first few service games. As long as he can come through them, then uh, you know he might take a little bit longer to warm up. I think I'm getting used to they're not being fans at events. We want the fans back at the events, but in terms of it feeling or looking strange, I thought it might feel a little bit strange because we're indoors. I don't know why indoors will suddenly make a difference, but you have this cavernous room. You have the balls echoing around, especially on the smaller courts here in Bercy. But it, and it's a wonderful set out in Bercy, isn't it? With the, the dark gray seats and then the gray outside the court, green innards of the court. Then they have this sort of nightclub walk on. They start in this box with flashing lights. Then they walk through a kind of hexagonal tunnel. Am I painting the right picture here? With these white flashing lights as as they come on. So that's all still happening. The wonderful thing for me, we do have the applause 
the the sort of on tape applause. So someone hits a winner, the button gets pressed. A couple of times there's been a double fault or something and someone's pressed, they got a little bit excited by pressing the button. <laughs> but the one thing for me is they're still doing the on-court welcome, here we are, we have in front of us. And so they go through the, they've done this, they've done that, they've won Stan Wawrinka, three grand slams, they won a master's title, Stan Wawrinka! And it's like tumbleweed. I, I want someone to press uh. the button. There's just nothing. You have this big build-up and they, can you imagine when Rafa Nadal, we're recording this on Wednesday, he plays this evening, you're rattling through his achievements in the French capital and there's nothing at the end. But the time, really missed the crowd. I was lucky enough to do the match last night between Hugo Umber and Stefanos Tsitsipas. Oh, yeah. Was an absolute stunner. I mean, Umber, he's a very understated Frenchman. I don't know if that sounds a very weird thing to... Yeah. We talk about the French with their flair and Hugo Gaston making his mark at Roland Garros with his, what, 55 drop shots against team, which pretty much finished team off in the competition after what he went through. And, and Richard Gasquet, who's actually on court now with that backhand that's like a magician waving his wand. You don't have that on the surface with Umber. But he's got absolutely everything. He's got every single thing within his locker. Oh, yeah. No, he's quite a, just a reserved sort of nice chap, isn't he? Really? That's how he comes across. Just goes and plays some tennis, does his thing, has huge ability and another one of the, the next gen, of course. And it's been really fun to see him growing and learning. And I mean, he's got so much more physical as well. He's not super intense when he plays, but he's definitely building that. He looks stronger out of the corners. And this this all takes a lot of time, but... Yeah, you know, he can mix in the drop shots. There's not really any part of the game you look at and you go, nah, he can't really do it. He can move well. You know, he can serve well, absolutely. I think it's just purely down to him doing it to the right level and growing in confidence and sort of just belonging at the top of the game because his game is yeah. there. But there is one thing about being a little bit understated is that you need to feel like you belong. You've got to have that inner steel. Um, and if you think of somebody else who's understated, David Goffin, for example, it took him quite a long time to really just look like he belonged in that top 10 because there were sometimes he just didn't, even though he's a similar age to a lot of the other <laughs> the other top tenors, he kind of looked like a boy in comparison just by the way that he held himself. But he really managed to find a nice level of confidence without sort of becoming loud and brash and everything that he's not. Um, so I think uh, Umber will probably go sort of a, a similar way. But uh, yeah, no, I'm a big fan. He's picking up fans all over the place. Yeah, you have to find your place, I guess. You get those players like Tsitsipas arrived with a swagger and Medvedev initially arrived as a little bit of the villain. You either have to play a character or find your place within it. And as I say, very understated Umber. By the end, over three hours, he couldn't walk. At one point, Tsitsipas needed a toilet break and Mohamed Leani. People who know Mohamed Leani, he's very clear. You can always hear what he's saying. Sitzpah suddenly needed the loo, right? Third set needed the toilet, suddenly in the third set. And so Mohamed Leani said, right, you can go when you're about to serve so we don't distract Umber. Umber starts saying, what do you mean he's going to the toilet? Can't go to the toilet. He should have gone at the end of the set. And Mohamed Leani said, no, he's allowed to go to the toilet. So everyone discussing Sitzpah going to the toilet very loudly in this echoey court. So... So we get underway again. So at the end of the next game, we know, the world knows that Sitzpass is going to the toilet. So you get to the end of the, of the service game 
of Ugo Umber. Mohamed Liani, still into his microphone, says, Stefanos, would you like to go to the bathroom? <laughs> it, it, it kind of felt like I would say to my boys, just before we're going out on a long car journey, boys, would you like to go to the toilet <laughs> before he gets into the car? Did he say, as he went off, did he say, now remember to wash your hands? <laughs> I mean, well, you know what? In this day and age, he probably should do because it's, it's all about hand washing. But it's just the way he said, Stefanos, would you like to go to the bathroom? <laughs> and he was like, yes, I would. Thank you for letting. And he said to Umber, <clears throat> excuse me, he said to Umber, when Umbo was saying, look, is he allowed to go? Mohamed Leon is saying, it's an emergency. He needs the toilet. And I just felt we were at this point getting way too much information <laughs> out there. But that's Mohamed Leoni's style. Stefano Sitzpas went to the toilet. But by the end, the legs, it's amazing. I don't know if this ever happened to you in a match. I've obviously never been in this situation at any level. It's like the legs went. The legs seemed fine for Umbo. Suddenly, I mean, he did sit down during that toilet break of Sitzfuss and we were thinking, ooh, maybe don't sit down. Suddenly the legs went. Mm. He could barely move towards the end. Yeah, legs go. That's <laughs> I mean, just suddenly, from one point to the next, he was trudging slash dragging his feet around the back of the court. Yeah, it's like running, you know. In running, what do they call it? Bonking? You just bonk out. Oh, hang <laughs> Is it wrong? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, hang on a second. Wait, 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 wait. Now, I, I know you're deep into pregnancy, <laughs> and in terms of loose facts and baby brain, <laughs> but did you just say bonking? Yes, I think... Do, do you know what... Do you know... Okay, do you know, and maybe our listeners in America, do you know what bonking means? Well, yes, but I, this is another way that the word is used, I think. It's not. Surely not. I think not. it is. Yeah. It can't be. Okay, so there is the meaning of... Of bonking <laughs> when two people having a unless a, I'm wrong. A nice if time. any of our listeners are runners, uh, correct I me if I'm wrong. I can't imagine you're right. That a word that is used for people having sex is also to describe something happening to your legs in running. Yeah, well, with, with long distance running, they'll. I don't care whether it's short like, or long I, distances. <laughs> you, don't, you don't say I'm bonking. You no, can't. you don't say I'm bonking. You say I totally bonked. <laughs> okay, so it's bonked, not bonking. No, well, yeah, you don't really do it because it kind of it, it's happened. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's you've you've been bonked. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's like that. And sometimes your legs just bonk. <laughs> I can't. I don't really know what else to add to this conversation I other than repeating that word. <laughs> I, I, st- I still I can't. But okay, look, someone someone let us know if if well we know bonking is a thing. So don't let us know that bonking is a thing. That is a thing that happens. But if it's connected to running, but what but what you're saying with or without the r- word. Is that just from one second to the next, the legs go? Yes, exactly. You can kind of be feeling okay and then they're just absolutely gone. And then you kind of, you're losing the coordination. You've lost all of the strength. It's really tough to put one foot in front of the other. In tennis, it happens less frequently. We get more cramping. You don't get so much cramping in long distance running. (laughs) We get less bonking in tennis and more cramping. But um, (laughs) she's just (laughs) silently laughing. (laughs) Um, But... Uh, yeah, what was I saying? Because it's more explosive. Well, it's a bit more explosive, that's why. We get less bonking in tennis because it's less explosive. No, it's more is explosive. So, okay, tennis so you get more, less... Tennis is more explosive, so you've got your legs doing sort of different things. You're not in this sort of rhythm of just, you know, plodding along. Uh, you And also you get to sit down, you get to have breaks. You're actually not really using your legs all the time. Anyway, it's just a very different thing. But bonking can happen. Is that what you saw? Did you? Did, is, 
Why didn't you? Yeah, you, bonking, sh- you should have said that bonking, on air. His legs just bonked. Bonking can happen. <laughs> Two shocking things I've learnt over the last seven days. One's got nothing to do with that, and I'll come to that later. But you like to be naked. Oh, that was God. something. <laughs> that, that was something. That was something. And we were having a chat as we chat a lot. And we were having a chat, and I think I had I didn't have headphones in, so it could be heard. And my other half was was just sitting next to me reading or something. Then this conversation started, and you started talking about walking around your house naked, and he left. Just got up and left. Yeah, well, I didn't know he was there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you weren't naked. We should say it's got nothing. You weren't at the time. But this is, is this something that's always been the case? Um, I don't really know. Yeah, I I can't tell, to be honest. I'm not naked in front of other people. (laughs) Just, Just at home. In my house, I, you know, not, and also actually, what am I even talking about? Just not all the time. I can't even think of the last time this happened. (laughs) (laughs) I don't just wander around my house naked. But what I think what I was trying to say is I have no issue in it. I'm not a prude in any way. I don't have, because we were talking about pregnancy and labor. And I said, I I wouldn't mind just wandering around naked. Um, Was it, on on a a serious note on this, was it difficult as a, or is it, do you think it's difficult for young athletes, especially female athletes, to be in that environment when they're they're in changing rooms and they're around people who have got I don't know stunning figures and maybe they don't look like the? Do you think that's difficult for some players? Because I imagine you spend a lot of time. You're changing. You're in the same kind of area. You're growing up. There's hormones. There's expectations. I don't know because I've always been a little bit more like that. So say I wouldn't walk around my house naked, but I imagine in terms of younger athletes that. I don't know. Were you like that when you were younger? Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I've always been like that. I've never really cared. Yeah, about, which like, is good. That much. I think that's good. As in, but not as in like I would walk around the change room butt naked. <laughs> <laughs> I would just not be the sort of person that needs five towels to shield themselves while. You See, know. I was more that person. Yeah, exactly. well, it's just yeah. too stressful for me. I just can't be bothered. See, it'd be more stressful for me being completely naked walking around the changing room. But I wouldn't ever be completely naked. But it's just that, like, if there's a two-second window where you take the <laughs> towel off to put on some clothes, like, it's fine. It's two seconds. <laughs> it's not a big but do deal. You think, but do you think that is, is difficult for young female athletes and tennis players, that whole being body conscious and, and around other, other women? I think so. I think it depends who you are. Because if you're, you know, if you're in a locker room at a tournament you're naturally around your competitors aren't you so you're always judging yourself against them in every single way and um yeah I think for it depends on sort of your mindset but absolutely I think it can be a bit more more difficult you get some people who go into the shower fully clothed and come out fully clothed just in different clothes they just do the whole thing in the shower okay so you know there are there are always ways but we get a little more privacy in the women's locker rooms than I think the men do so (laughs) we're doing all right that was the first thing that surprised me. As I say, we continued to learn a lot about each other. The second thing I actually learned from Claire Curran, who we both know and working with this oh, yeah. week, former player, was that I was always taught when I was at school and I was growing up and I, and I love playing tennis. We like all sports when you're growing up. I was told I had to choose, and this wasn't in terms of taking a professional route, just playing for fun at school recreationally. I had to choose between tennis and squash and I couldn't play them both because they were detrimental to each other. So if I played... Hang on a minute. Did, are you about to tell me that you picked squash? 
No, 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 no. No, because I picked... <laughs> no. <laughs> I was about to no. hang up right now. <laughs> That's the end of the podcast. This is the final episode. Uh, this is the bombshell moment. No, I, but I was... No, I was told I could play one or the other. And I always preferred tennis. Right. Easy so I choice. Tennis. But I was told that if I played squash, it would be detrimental to my tennis development. And so right. I, I stayed with Who that. Who told you this, a coach? Well, this... No, this... Uh, like a PE teacher at school but then I, I that always stayed with me that you couldn't play both and if you played one it'd be damaging to the other one but then I was talking to Claire Curran we're on air and she says that growing up in Northern Ireland they didn't have indoor courts so through the winter she spent four months on a squash court and there's me going what on earth were you doing spending four months on a squash court and she said it was actually very beneficial to her game. The likes, he said, of Dan Evans, also very good at squash. Miles McLaggen then popped up on text saying that he plays a lot of squash. And it was a bit of a myth buster for me. Interesting. So that's a myth buster for me as well. <laughs> I'd be like, what are you doing really? on a squash court? <laughs> really? So what, how would you see, that? how would you look at it in terms of what squash would do to your tennis game? Look, I, I always think that, especially when you're young, sort of under the age of, 12 13 14 playing as many sports particularly if you're interested in racket sports all different racket sports is really beneficial ball sports that sort of thing and just you know or even if it's gymnastics it just gives you a different sort of base and i just think it's healthier let kids do what they want to do right (laughs) just try a bit of everything um but it is interesting because as a coach when you get somebody new through the door like say a a seven-year-old kid who comes in and they start playing maybe for the first time or they've played a li- they've probably played a bit they can they can rally so they they come in and you know they're young and you can tell immediately which sports they they play like straight off the bat just purely on their technique so you could say oh you play a lot of badminton don't you <laughs> and they're like oh wow, how did you know <laughs> so okay so how would you know they played badminton just by the movement of their, well, by their grips, by the movement of their wrists, yeah. by their understanding of the speed of the ball as well. So I hate playing squash. I hate playing squash so much wow. with all my heart okay. because, A, it's really difficult. So credit to everybody who plays squash. Yeah. It's hard. All that lunging. I mean, you do enough lunging on a tennis court. <laughs> You've got to do more on a squash court. <laughs> um, getting out of the way of somebody else. <sighs> come on you should be on the other side of the net and to to be honest actually I'm joking but the actual frustration for me is that the ball does not do what I expect it to do because I'm so used to a tennis ball because I streamlined my sports very very early on and so I, I of course can understand the different bounces but it's it's so soft I mean you absolutely obliterate it into the wall and it just just drops on the floor (laughs) and uh you know, so because I never really carried on any other ball sports whilst playing tennis properly. So from about the age of about, of ten, I just didn't really do anything else. So um, it, it, a lot of it's that judgment, and you get a lot of players, um, as I say, like the juniors that come through. You can easily tell somebody who plays cricket. You know, particularly get them to hit a backhand. You're like, okay, <laughs> that one went for six. <laughs> um, you know, so you've got. You've got all of those different things. And you can tell a squash player. A squash player is very flicky through the wrists. They hit the ball pretty flat. You're not hitting topspin when you're playing squash. <laughs> the ball's already dead as it is. You don't need any spin to control it um, because obviously you're limited in your sort of range. Um, so, yeah, no, it is it is interesting. Um, but was Claire playing tennis 
in a squash court. Is she saying that Dan Evans played tennis in a squash no, court? No, no, no. Said he played squash and she played squash. So through the winter months where she lived in Northern Ireland when she was young, there were no indoor tennis courts. Right, so okay. So I take it be... back a bit because I thought you were saying that they couldn't play tennis, so they played tennis on a squash court. No. They and actually, I was like, that's a waste of time. They actually, they actually went <laughs> and played squash and and Claire was saying two things for her it was the reactions as you say because because it comes back it drops something yeah. you're getting out of the way of your opponent the ball she had a reactions and also she didn't have because you know we talk about that there's more time spent not hitting a ball than hitting a ball in tennis so all that time to kind of think where you're at the situation Richard Gasquet who's on court now does the re-gripping of his racket every time he sits down that sort of keeps him busy she said the great thing is squash is you got no time to think and it's just bang, 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 and you're moving the whole time. So it's it's quite good at getting you used to not having that kind of dead time when you have to right. fill it with something. Yeah, it is. Uh, what are you saying within the points? It's pretty full on. Yeah, it's full on, and then you move to the next one, and then it, it's not that kind of tennis. It's really you might hard. Wander around, and yeah, it's, no, it's really hard. I, honestly, it's really hard. It's it's just it's just not. I'm just not so interested in it. But it's also interesting. I think when the kids come and play. You can tell the ones that have played the sports that have a zone and the ones that haven't because it's very typical for kids to start playing tennis and they want to hit the ball as far as they can because in most things you're trying to throw it far, you're trying to get it to a distance away if you're playing football or, or rugby or whatever. We're talking, you know, they're not playing to a super high level here. <laughs> We're talking about children. So it's not like they're playing sort of world-class football and they understand space and not just charging after the ball. <laughs> um, so you've got those sorts of things uh, as well, whereas players that come from sports with zones, so... Yeah. I mean, you could say like badminton because you've got to get it over and in. It's very similar to tennis. But I mean, how on earth do you get that shuttlecock out of the lines? It just, just it's the fastest, it's the fastest moving. What is the stat? I can't remember how to say it, but in racket sports, because yep. th- it's not a ball, obviously, but the thing that you hit, the shuttlecock is the fastest moving. It's like over 200 kilometers an hour, like quite consistently, but obviously just dies really quickly. You can only, you can, you can hit it like 200 kilometers an hour and it travels two meters. <laughs> Again, my frustrations are boiling. It's, I'm like, it, yeah, no, it's coming across. That <laughs> should have been a backhand down the line winner. What the hell is this? Um, but yeah, so tennis is, um, is quite unique because if you were to take the ball and fire it as far as you could, you could get some serious distance. Yeah. It would travel. Yeah. But the the zone is actually fairly restricted. Whereas, say, with badminton, okay, you have an even more restricted zone or table tennis, a very restricted zone. But if you fired it as hard as you could, it wouldn't actually go that far. I mean, you could obviously you'd hit it out, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So um, no, it is quite fascinating, and I do. It's one. It's one of our games. We always try and do it whenever we get a new sort of class in. I mean, I don't coach at the moment, but whenever I was working with the kids to get a new class in, new wave in, we'd always try and guess the sports that they came from. That was just that's the game really, that, that the coaches really play. That's really interesting. Yeah. Oh, but, but for me, as I say, I've just come up with in my head, you can play one and... No, I think it was because the flicky wrist in, in squash. And now you need a, a solid wrist, a firmer wrist in tennis. I know I'm talking from when I was... 12 years old or something I started to be told this and so I've I, squash is pro- never really appealed but I've never gone near it just because I really like playing tennis and I, I can I can see what you mean I think with squash there are some transferable skills I mean we we describe that forehand squash shot don't we out on the stretch yeah, yeah, where they yeah. go with the, the forehand slice yeah. uh, and it does look like a squash shot and it would be a shot that you would play 
in squash, probably not a very good one, but it, it would be there. Um, you know, you've also, as I say, you've got the lunging, so that's part of it, you know, just generally having a racket. But past that, it's um, it just, I'm not saying it's harder than tennis. I mean, it's harder for me, <laughs> Def- yeah. definitely. Um, but yeah, it, it is interesting, I think. I mean, you can get lots of transferable skills, I think, from a lot of sports. But as I say, I really do feel like tennis is quite unique in a number of ways. I think what's difficult at the moment, I, maybe there'll be a change of heart, there probably won't in the UK, is as people probably know who are from outside the UK, we're going into lockdown tomorrow or from midnight tonight lockdown so no squash starts so so no squash and I think what's disappointing for children so schools are staying open so we're allowing children to go to school to mix in their bubble but they've cancelled all kind of after school activities and clubs so the boys for instance the fellas play tennis that's immediately shut down indoors and outdoors let's get a bit chilly outdoors and they do another couple of little ball activities that have been cancelled and I think that's that's a real shame because we know how tough the first lockdown was, but at least it was summer. Do you know what I mean? So we could sort of get them out and run around. I think it, it's really sad. I know there's a couple of campaigns underway to see if the government will will rethink this because the schools are open, they're still going out. But as you said, this age, kids play so many different sports, they're active. This is when largely children will fall in love with sport, whether it's sports or whole or individual sports. And it's it's quite sad now that for the next month at least that pretty much everything's shut down. Yeah, I know. It sucks, doesn't it? But um it is it is what it is. And tennis was actually in the UK supposed to have a bit of a reprieve, which it did at the beginning, the first lock- lockdown number one. I, f- I wonder how many numbers <laughs> we're gonna get to. Hopefully not too many. Um, but in lockdown one, um tennis golf and fishing were allowed sort of a reprieve and then it was the plan for lockdown number two that we would you would be allowed to play outdoor tennis of why course, would you because not you could... be allowed to fish well, i mean honestly when i've seen people fishing it's a i'm going to generalize here wildly it's a man on a little fold-out chair with his picnic to one side and a rod in the water yeah i, know, I mean i just I just, and if you've got a friend with you, say we were fishing together. I can't imagine you and I ever fishing, but say that happened. Mm, we thing. could, <laughs> but at the moment it'd be good because you wouldn't have to move a lot. Because latter yeah, stages of different reasons to squash that it's not my thing. But but we could we could socially distance on our little fold out chairs and fish. Yeah, I, I don't see why. F- that's interesting. Fishing. Well, it's the same with tennis, isn't it? You've got a barrier of a net in between you. So it's once again, true. you yeah. you you know socially distancing is really obvious you kind of have to be at least sort of six meters apart to be able to have any sort of rally to be honest so um yeah so it's a bit disappointing i mean hopefully it changes but look we understand it's it's about keeping everyone safe and the lockdown it, it it's slightly different in the uk i know people in america have got more important things to be thinking about at the moment as we're talking the votes are being counted or they've stopped for a bit of a breather and they're going to continue to be counted but the lockdown this time i mean i'm still able to come out to work so i will be driving out to work to continue bursi and then the then the tour finals you can exercise as much as you like the shops despite the fact that people actually on radio yesterday we asked people in different countries what's being sort of taken off the shelves at the rate of whatever because obviously loo rolls again again loo rolls and we heard from sally in australia who said loo rolls and betty in belgium said loo rolls and gentlemen canada said it's baking stuff so people want to make 
bread oh, and yeah, cakes. Oh, yeah, because people want to bake. It's, it's a good indoor activity, basically. No, it is. But if fair. you could take one thing off a supermarket shelf ahead of lockdown, what would it be? Oof. Would it be toilet rolls? Well, no. Okay. Unless I knew that there weren't going to be any toilet rolls. <laughs> so I'd have to get some. But would I? that be... So you're told there's going to be toilet rolls. Shops are staying open. What would, be, what would be the first thing? If you're thinking you're in nesting mode now, getting ready for the little fella to arrive, what, is the, what, is, what would be top of your list? Yeah, well, this is the thing is that it's not really going to affect us so much because it's not like we were going to be going out to restaurants and pubs and bars and stuff with a with a newborn for a while. So, uh, you know, as long as it doesn't affect the birth too much, then that's that's all right. And we're probably only going to be sort of at home and then pop out for a walk each day. And if we can, <laughs> it might not be possible. At this stage um, you can. At so, this stage you can, but it might change. No, just if I oh, can. Oh, right. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> so, yes. If, I, if I can actually manage it. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. What would I get? I, I kind of, I'm in line with the baking. So I'm more like flour and stuff. I would want to make sure I'm topped up on all of that. We do a fair amount of cooking. I think for me, I'd go like dried pasta and rice. Yeah. And pasta. tin tomatoes because you can always whip something up with that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, tin you know, tomatoes. Been through a lot of tin tomatoes. Huh? I, I love a tin of tomatoes. I mean, that's been, that was a lifesaver in lockdown one, might be in lockdown two, but there's a little bit more freedom in lockdown too and in terms of the tennis so we know the WTAs that's sort of they're all in pre-season or post-season or they're in the Maldives holidays, number of them in the Maldives yeah. holidays or Simona Halep who is recovering from COVID-19 was doing a little bit of pre-season the men have still got Bercy the ones here there's the 250 in Sofia and then there's the tour finals there's one spot left in the tour finals Diego Schwartz and interesting he's on court now he's in prime position to get it but we saw this a few years ago with Pablo Carreño Busta the pressure because with London yes there's points but there's an awful lot of money and it's being part of the eight best players in the world right now I mean that's a lot of pressure oh it's just it's an awesome tournament isn't it to be involved in it's just such a privilege to have qualified and just really does sum up the year but yeah I mean you feel like I mean who's in the running so you because Schwartzman, you feel like, should take that last spot because he has been playing so, so well. Like, he really, really has. I mean, he beat Nadal on clay. Come on. This is, you've, got, you've got to get double points, triple points for that, surely. Okay, I know he lost to Roland Garros, but, you know, that's, that's how it goes. Um, but, yeah, he's just been playing so brilliantly well and been really consistent. So I kind of feel like he deserves it. Yeah, well, Berrettini losing yesterday. It was between sort of Schwartzman and Berrettini. Berrettini losing yesterday. I think Schwartzman, if he if he nails a semi final place in Paris, he's done it. If he doesn't, he still could miss out if Pablo Carreño Busta or Stan Wawrinka win Bercy. And remember, we've still got Sofia and David Goffin was in line for an alternate place, but he said after his match and obviously recovering from COVID nineteen, said that. I'm still finding it a bit tough. So he's he said, I'm, I'm happy it's over. <laughs> I'm happy the season's done. So I'm, I'm not sure if that also means that he won't be taking up a spot in London. It's look, There's money up for grabs, there's points up for grabs, but also you've got to take care of your health. And it's been and continues to be a very difficult year, right? Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things where, as you say, we had that big gap where players yeah. could sort of rest and recuperate um, whilst being in quarantine or whatever the situation was in their country. But then when it started again, my word, was it frantic. I mean, it was tournament after tournament after tournament. It was grand, it was masters, grand slam, masters, yeah. masters, grand slam. I mean, it was different surfaces. It was tough, tough conditions as well. Um, you know, such quick turnarounds. So for anybody who's actually been playing well, anybody who's in the running for London, I know that the points are, of course, 
counted from before as well. Yeah. But for the players, somebody like a Schwartzman, you know, they've been playing so much, so many matches. I mean, they will be pretty exhausted by the end of this run because it's been big tournaments, big matches. Um, they've had to also put in probably a little bit more effort to get themselves up without the crowd. There's been this emotional stress that a lot of the players have talked about with the COVID situation and is my test going to come back positive? And, you know, somebody I was in a lift with had a positive test and everything that happened with Benoit Pair, Ben, oh, poor Benoit Pair. <laughs> I hope he has a good holiday. It's been rough, isn't it? But I hope he has a good holiday. Um, he won't be in London, but I hope he has a good holiday. Um, you know, so I think it's actually probably been a, one of the toughest for the people who have done all of it. There are some players who just kicked off at the clay yeah. and I think they'll be feeling a bit better. But, um, you know, for those players who have done both, I think it I think it would have been pretty exhausting, especially if they've done well and won quite a lot of matches. I mean, somebody like a Victoria Azarenka, she's got to be shattered, surely. I mean, the... the the different surfaces. I mean, and the men have, of course, had the best of five as well to deal with. Um, the conditions in Paris were, were tough. Uh, so I think it'll be a well-earned rest. And they don't have that long to rest because they've got to get to Australia to quarantine. They've got to get down there early. So uh, I really hope... I'm actually quite enjoying the pictures of the holidays. Normally, I just get very jealous. You know what I mean? You kind of look at the, the pictures of the Maldives. And, oh. But now I kind of feel like, you know what? You deserve it. Have a holiday. I think they deserve it, but I'm also a little bit jealous because we're thinking about being locked in. I mean, you're likely going to have a baby in lockdown. I am definitely going to have a birthday in lockdown. Holidays are a no-go. We, we, we cannot leave. We don't know how long it'll last. I'm looking at these pictures of these Maldive islands, the Maldivian islands, thinking, oh boy, I would love to be there. Just pick up the family and take them to the Maldives. Yeah, for lockdown. Wouldn't Why we? not? For, oh, imagine, imagine lockdown in the Maldives. But I think uh, key what you said there about the emotional stress. I mean, here at Bursley, we had Corentin Mute that tested positive on the 3rd of November for, for COVID-19. Yep. So Marin Cilic got the walkover. And I know they're being very safe and secure and they don't have, shouldn't have that much contact with that many other people. And if he's got it, then the people who have been in close contact with wouldn't be part of the tournament anyway. So his, his coach or a family member, whoever was there with him. But you've got to think, and, and Joe Salisbury recently was in close contact with someone, so he's isolating but should be fine for the tour finals. But say you're a, a Medvedev or a, or a Tsitsipas or a Nadal and someone within a tournament tests positive for COVID-19 and you happen to, I don't know, walk past them, be near them, shake their hands, whatever you did, and you might get it, you might jeopardise your place in London. I mean, there, there is that emotional stress and strain that is continually with you it's just that sort of that weight isn't it in the back of your mind that you probably don't even really realize um because it could happen yeah. it could be out of your hands something it's one thing you pick up an injury and it's devastating and you can't play and, and whatever especially if it's a serious one but it could just be completely out of your hands and i think that could be really difficult for for players to deal with. I mean, they all understand the situation, they all understand the risks, apart from Sam Query, apparently, um, <laughs> who didn't come to Paris. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, he didn't. But uh, yeah, so I, I, I do think it has been a very challenging time for uh, a, a lot of the players traveling around. And, you know, I know that a lot of them have done their absolute best to follow the rules, to keep the masks on, to just... I don't know. I think just to to give themselves the best chance of not having <laughs> not having to to withdraw from tournaments, I suppose. But it, it's a, it's an unfortunate thing, especially with all the numbers on the rise. It's it's just becoming more and more likely, isn't it? Now you withdrew from Bercy for very good reasons because 
your time now is to rest and to nest. So how is the nesting going? Well, I'm the size of a whale, which is, <laughs> which is the starting point. Um, means you're nearly ready to go. Well, <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be up to him. One thing, though, that I we are yep. currently doing, we are nesting, we're rearranging, Good. moving bits and bobs getting everything set up of course but one thing that we are struggling with and you know this because i've been struggling with it for months are names oh so I, I thought you'd without revealing any i thought you would pretty much got down to you had a, a very short short list the last well time I the heard. difficulty is that ben hates almost all names right <laughs> so, uh, that, that's so working tricky, from that tricky. point he's just like most names are rubbish I don't like them. Whatever. So basically, I said, right, let you come up with as long a list as possible of names. Right. Anyway, we've got two. That's all, that's all we've got. So that's a good list. That's t- better than having ten. I but think. You, but I can't. Why? I don't know. Anyway, you've only got two. If, yeah, but now he's starting to go off them as well. I don't know what do we, what we're gonna do. You know what you do? I, the thing I thought about was shortened versions of names. I shorten everybody's name apart from yours, actually. But Mine I doesn't shorten, shorten. That's the problem. It, it, I was just trying to think. I, and no, I hate that about my name. I hate that it doesn't. You shorten. want it to be, but you're called Cav. People shorten yeah, your surname. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, not Someone many people actually call me Naomi. <laughs> How's Cav? And I was like, oh, that's Naomi. Um, but I shorten everybody's first name if I can. So if it's Helen, I'll call them H. Or I, I just shorten everything. So when we were thinking of names. For the twins, I was thinking of all the shortened versions because you have to like the shortened version as well as yeah. the long version because the Agreed. chances are it's going to get... Yeah, you've got to think if it goes with a surname, but you've got to think of the nickname. I think, and obviously we... Ha- well, we had two names, although my other half decided in the delivery room to bring a third into the equation. Nice. No, but I like having that. triplets. No, no, you've got two names. You're having two babies. The job is done. And it was literally a case of when one arrived... You looked at the baby and said, ah, that is X, right? And that was a name given. Then he X. suddenly pops up. Strong. He pops up. <laughs> the <laughs> other one was Y. <laughs> he then pops up with a third name. So there's me going through all the bits and pieces of labor, which you will soon experience. And I'm thinking, you can't bring a third name into the delivery room when we've had two names for however many months. So I think it's, you've got two names, right? Yeah. When... When the little fella arrives, you will look at the little fella and you will know which name. But what if he's neither of them? He will be one of them. Well, if listeners have any cool names, oh, let yeah. me know. Okay. So I, I had a friend and, and her and her husband really, um, I mean, they're no, no, no longer together. So probably this wasn't a good sign. But they really couldn't agree on names. So their baby didn't have a name for a month. Well, a whole month. That's quite long. I, I don't mind it being like... A couple of weeks, maybe. But you've got to register them, haven't you? Exactly. <laughs> you have to come up with something. <laughs> exactly. So they went a month, and, and the name they came up with that was a lovely one in the end. But I think with the two names you've got, the first step is, when he arrives, look at him, and I think it will just be that name. I think just say the name that right. comes to mind. All right, people. Well, what we're looking for is a boy's name yep. that is moderately unusual. I say moderately unusual, not Are like you, something crazy. You want an unusual name? I want, yeah... A little bit unusual. The ones you've picked aren't unusual. A little bit unusual. I don't think they're unusual. Like you're, like he's going to be not... the only one in the class with that name. That's what I mean. I'm going to get some crazy, crazy recommendations now, aren't I? Yeah, I think you might. <laughs> yeah, you might get sort of cities and towns and vegetables. And Look, we and... called our dog Sven. So that's a start, isn't it? That gives you the sort of thing. Okay, yeah. So we want nothing, nothing, too, nothing too strange. <laughs> Or unusual. Okay, this is brilliant. You can you can find us via our website, via Twitter, or via Instagram. So names for Naomi's baby. Um, I'm going to give you two names now. Pierre Hugues 
or Milos. Oh, okay. They're the two men that I have to go and get ready for because they are following on from Diego and Richard. I've given you two more names there. That's All my right. that's my contribution to the conversation. I can tell you that I have looked down the rankings list. <laughs> the men's rankings you haven't all the way down to a thousand <laughs> all of the names what oh yeah and you've still only got two yep exactly wow. okay this, <laughs> this is, is a little bit more okay this <laughs> is a little more serious than i thought right okay listeners we need your help right you get back to think about names and rest and nest i will do and i'll speak to you next week i'll speak to you soon bye, bye.